Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London. A church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Today's message, first in our series, is called Taking Your Place in the Race That's a Battle. Taking your place in the race, that's a battle. Would you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 1 through to verse 7. Reading from the ESV. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy. My beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control or a sound mind, amen? Now, we want to do two things this afternoon. First of all, I'd like to take a moment to introduce our new series, and then we're going to start Second Timothy. We're going to dive into chapter 2, chapter 1, and look at verse 1 through 7. Now, this is Paul's second letter to Timothy, right? We looked at his first letter at the end of last year. Can you remember the title? Oh, my gosh. Shame on you. Thank you, Tim. God's healthy household. Now, following that in the new year, we did a series of topical messages relating to the church and to discipleship and the gospel. Then we did our Easter series, right, on the resurrection and kind of tied that up, tagged on the end of that, the ascension last week. Today, we open a new letter. Our title for this This book, this new series, is DEFCON 1. Now, this might sound a bit random. Let me explain. How many of you feel like you're going through a battle? Well, if you have ears to hear, like they used to say back in the CB radio radio days, (laughs) have you got your ears on, good buddy? Some of you don't even know what CB is, right? It's all right, don't worry. Look it up on, on Google. If you have ears to hear, this letter will change your life. It's going to help you get strapped up for the battle. Now, our vision statement as a church is healthy, equipped, and effective. Let me hear you say healthy. Healthy. Equipped, effective, 
Uh, let's try that again. Let me hear you say healthy. Equipped. Effective. One more time. Healthy. Equipped. Effective. I don't know what you've been told. But Jesus Christ can save your soul. You're supposed to say that after me, you know. It's all right. First Timothy helped us to consider what it meant to be healthy. Right? Tim said it. God's healthy household. Second Timothy is going to help us to think about what it means to be equipped. People, welcome to DEFCON 1. Now, the original definition describes pastor he's laughing the original definite because me and him was oh gosh getting mad joke over this oh you don't know lord jesus me him and pastor p we are trying up oh my gosh and the lord's helping us this ain't just a hype thing the original definition describes defense condition defense con- death con defense condition a defense readiness condition. It's an alert, an alert posture used by the United States. DEFCON, it describes five graduated levels of readiness or states of alert. That's with regard to the US military. And it increases in severity from DEFCON 5 which is the least severe, to DEFCON 1, which is most severe. Normal readiness, progressively moving toward maximum readiness to match varying military situations. Now I said, welcome to DEFCON 1. <laughs> now, you don't, you don't really want to be at DEFCON 1. But guess what? We are at DEFCON 1. Ladies and gentlemen, we are at war. And in 2 Timothy, it's red alert. It's battle stations. It's batten down the hatches, which means to secure the, the entrances to the lower parts of the ship is preparation for a time of trouble. As a Christian, you need to realize that you're in the military, that you're in the war, that you are in a battle. Listen to the military vernacular that screams from the pages of this letter. Now, you can follow me if you can, but if you, if you can't, I'm not waiting for you. 2 Timothy 2, this is the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 2, verse 3 and 4. Share in suffering as a good soldier in Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to to please the one who enlisted him. 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. Paul says, I have fought the good what? Fight. Fight. There's a children's program. I can't remember what it's called. But I know there's a point in the where they just say, fight! There are POWs in this book that is prisoners of war. Paul is writing this letter from where? From prison. He's in Rome. 
And in chapter 2, verse 26, Paul talks about prisoners or POWs or prisoners of war. And notice, it's old Adolf Hitler himself, Satan. Verse 26, chapter 2, he talks about escaping, says Paul, from the snare of the devil after being captured. That word in Greek means prisoner of war. Being captured by him, that is the devil, to do his will. Chapter 1, verse 15. There are individuals who are AWOL. That is, they're absent without leave. Chapter 2, verse 15. You are aware, says Paul, that all who are in Asia turned away from me. And he names them. Among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. And how many of you know there are some from among us that have turned away? That we could name today, right? Notice Paul doesn't ramp to hot man up, right? He names them and he puts them on blast. A bit like Shailin. (laughs) On one of his new songs, right, called False Teachers. We were listening to it in community group. And in that song, Shailin quotes from First and Second Timothy with regards to these false teachers, these current, current modern-day false teachers. Nothing ain't changed. And if you know, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. This is just as relevant today as it was back then. In chapter 4, verse 10, Paul talks about deserters. Remember, I'm trying to hook you up with some... Some military vernacular. Deserters, chapter 4, verse 10. For Demas, uh uh-oh, here's another guy, in love with this present world, has deserted me. A deserter. And gone to Thessalonica. Crescens, Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Not only is there people going AWOL, deserting, but there's also friendly fire. My gosh. From those who seem to be fighting on the same side, but are not. Acts chapter 20, Paul warned the elders from this this place, this church, or group of churches in Ephesus. Paul warned them in Acts chapter 20. And he says, I know that after my, my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. How many of you know you've got to get raggle on the wolves? We've got to be shepherds like pastors that don't, that don't joke to draw for the crook. <laughs> Lord, help us. Amen. Lord, give us the courage to do that. Amen. Verse 30, and from, look, and f- talk about friendly fire. And from among your own selves. See, that's what happens if you don't chase that man with a crook. From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. I thought disciples were supposed to follow Jesus. Verse 31, therefore be alert, says Paul in Acts 20. Red alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. See, and these imposters, these pretending, these, 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 these pretending to be Christians, they're... They're even beginning to use spiritual, chemical, and biological warfare. Listen, in chapter 2, verse 17, and their talk, says Paul, will spread like what? Gangrene. About your wildfire. (laughs) Gangrene 
and forgive me, sorry, that was a bit harsh. <laughs> spread like I suppose it does spread like wildfire. That's how gangrene spreads. Another translation says cancer. Spread like and their talk, chapter two, was spread like gangrene among whom, and here he goes again. Paul don't joke to name and shame. Among them are Hymenius and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. What heresy! They are upsetting the faith of some. That's where false teaching leads. Spiritual, chemical, and biological weapons against the body of Christ, the church, in order to corrupt it. Espionage, chapter 3, verse 6, he says, again, it's like double agents or false brothers using stealth tactics, war-type stealth tactics to infiltrate enemy lines. He says in verse 6 of chapter 3, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. Silly women, King James. Thank you, Harry. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak, silly women. Ladies, how many of you know you also have to man up? Don't make anyone creep up and capture you. You know there's loads of creeps, right? Don't make them creep up and capture, because they will capture you. Bible, thank you, Pastor E. The Bible says the devil only comes to do three things. And none of them ain't good. None of them ain't nice. The Bible says he comes to kill, steal, or destroy. And if he can't kill you, he'll try to destroy you. And if he can't destroy you, he'll try and steal something from you. Ladies, you have to man up. Don't let nobody creep up and capture you. But men, how many of you know we have to protect our women? And not take advantage of our women, like First Thessalonians 4 says, do not defraud the ladies. And that don't mean touching them physically. We know that. Everybody knows that you can't have sex before marriage. Come on now. But how about the emotional fondling? Because it's all right. You, you fondle with a girl. Yeah, you call her late at night. On the phone talking, whispering sweet nothings. Chatting about, yeah, you know it's you and me. You know that I love you. Come on now. You see, and the thing is, when the relationship mash up, like it does sometimes, relationship mash up, the brother just says, yeah, cool. Like, sorry. And he walks away, completely unscathed, like, who's next? Who, who next can I defraud? Who next can I creep up on? Silly women. Which other, which weak, weak woman can I? Minister, we're supposed to be protecting the ladies. Not defrauding them and taking advantage of them. Can I get an amen? amen? And not just from the ladies. <laughs> Chapter 3, Paul talks about espionage. Espionage. Chapter 3, verse 13, he talks about imposters or double agents, you know. Verse 13 of chapter 3, while evil people 
and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Imposters. There are executions in chapter 4, verse 16. Paul is about to be executed, not metaphorically, literally. 2 Timothy, wow. 2 Timothy, as well as other themes, is packed with vernacular with regards to the war or the battle that we face. 1 Timothy 6 verse 12, the classic verse, right? Paul says, fight the what? The good fight of faith. The book is full of war talk. And just like any war, there are also emotional dynamics. There are tears and joy and sadness and loneliness and abandonment and fear And yet there's camaraderie and friendship. This letter is jam-packed with military supplies as necessary. Now, how many of you feel like you're in the heat? Oh my gosh. In the heat of the battle. Well, notice the strap line under DEFCON 1. I don't know if you can see it at the back. DEFCON 1, defend and contend to the end. Defend means to guard or shield or preserve or protect the truth. Contend means to challenge, means to contest, struggle or wrestle against, to engage in combat. For how long? Defend and contend to the end. And we can stand encouraged, regardless of how we feel. Regardless of where we're at in the battle, regardless of how many times we may have won or been defeated, regardless of how we feel or look, or how we've performed in the past, ultimately, this is not a war that has an uncertain outcome. Read the end of the book. In Christ, we win. The only issue is, Will you either lie down or get up and fight? You already know what the outcome is. You're going to lie down or are you going to get up and fight? Look at me at the beginning of chapter 1. Verse 1 and 2, we have the greeting. Paul introduces himself, verse 1, and then verse 2, the one to whom he writes the letter, Timothy. Now, for a letter that's supposed to be written to a close friend, doesn't Paul sound very formal? He describes himself as Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Now, Timothy knows who he is. Surely Paul doesn't need to be this formal, but actually he does. Although this is a personal letter to Timothy, Paul knew that it would have a much wider hearing. Throughout the letter, Paul refers to you, meaning Timothy, in the singular. But then at the end of the letter, the very last you is plural. The church that Timothy serves in is in Ephesus. And the congregation, they need assurance that this letter comes from a bona fide authority. 
especially as Paul is so outrageously naming and shaming individuals, right? Who will undoubtedly want to examine this document. So Paul certifies his credentials up front. Paul also makes it clear that his becoming an apostle of Christ Jesus had little to do with him. He says it happened how? By the will of God. By the will of God. It says that he was sent, because that's what the word apostle means. Sent to represent Jesus Christ. Standing before Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, Paul recounts the day of his conversion and his commission. In Acts 26, says verse 13, At midday, O king, I saw on the way, and he's describing his conversion, I saw on the way, O king, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the pricks, against the goads? And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Notice Jesus already ascended, right? He's he's gone back to heaven, but here's Jesus. (laughs) Verse 16, but rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you, see it? To appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Verse 7, in delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am what? Apostling you, sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Paul isn't an apostle because he thought that it would be a good idea. It was God's idea, it was God's work, it was God's will. And it's according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Now this goes back to, and even further beyond, and before Genesis. Remember, man had fallen in the garden, and because of his sin, was now facing what? Death, as opposed to life, as opposed to life. Physically and spiritually, he was facing death. But in the very next few verses, Genesis 3.15, God promises a solution, doesn't he? The promise is then protected through Noah, then confirmed to Abraham in a very significant way, which culminates in the promised seed or savior, who, verse 10 of your text, has abolished death. Imagine that. Jesus came and he just abolished death. That for for centuries, for millennia, has has, has had power over man. Jesus came and he abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. How? Through the gospel. And again, Paul talks about his appointment in verse 11 as an apostle, as a preacher and a teacher. Why? Because right here in Ephesus, there are these false apostles, these false preachers, these false teachers who are out to destroy the faith of those, chapter 2, verse 18, who would otherwise put their confidence in this very same promise. You see, Paul, in the very first verse of this book, 
is already bringing out the heavy artillery. He's setting the tone for the whole letter. This is a battle between good and evil, light and dark, life and death. This is evidently important to Paul for him to mention it so early in this letter. Could it have something to do with the fact that he's fully aware of his own impending death? This is the last letter that Paul's ever going to write. At this point, this promise of life (laughs) means a great deal to Paul. And this is a quality of life that goes beyond the grave. Because it was promised before death existed. Titus chapter 1 verse 2 says, It's an eternal life which God who never lies... Did what? How many of you know God keeps his promises? He never lies. That God promised before the ages began. Wow. And we see the same thing reiterated again in verse 9 of our text. And we'll look at that in more detail next week. Now notice how Paul refers to Timothy in verse 2. My beloved child. You might be forgiven for thinking that Paul had had a previous relationship, right? He had a mistress. <laughs> Paul had a one-night stand. Who's this Timothy, his son? From which was, <laughs> Paul had a relationship from which was born this young protege, this young pupil, this young preacher. But no, this was his child in the faith. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 2. This was his spiritual son. And we'll come back to this in a moment. Next... <clears throat> we see a threefold blessing from the Father and the Lord Jesus. Grace, mercy, and peace. Grace is what? It's getting what you don't deserve. Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's, it's getting what you don't deserve. It's, it's me, me getting what I don't deserve. Mercy. Now, mercy is kind of the opposite. It's not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not. I, you know what I should do to you because of what you've just done? Mercy says, allow him. Allow, allow him. And I'd be like, all right then. It's only because of, only, only of you, you know. Why am I... How many of you know that's what God done with Jesus? Mercy. Our judgment fell. The judgment due to me fell on Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for me in order that I might become, that you might become, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Wow. Jesus became our propitiation, right? He took our judgment and redirected God's anger towards himself. And then, peace. Grace, mercy, and peace. Peace which comes as a result of the grace and the mercy. When them two hit you, you can lie down in the bed and sleep good at night time. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, 
being justified by what? What you're justified by? <laughs> Tim, top man. You answer one more question, I'm going to give you a prize. <laughs> Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is so sweet. I like I.O. Now, with this loaded introduction, now complete, Paul begins to unpack his thoughts. He has the future in mind, yet starts with a blast from the past. Verse 3, he says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors. In this first part of his statement, Paul steps back two generations or a few generations in time. Initially, he gives thanks to God, which is always a good idea. And knowing that what comes next is based only on God's grace. He says, watch, he says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors. I wonder if you can see that. Paul is, is now an old man, probably in his 60s. And he's coming to the end of his time of service. And Paul comes from a long line of others who come from a long line of others who come from a long line of others who have also faithfully served the Lord God in the past. Can you see the generational progression? Can you see that? And Paul is now looking at Timothy and saying, Timothy, look at the generational line of progression. Guess what, Timothy? You're next in line. It's as if he were running a race. And it's not just a regular race. It's a relay race. And Paul says, I'm about to finish my leg. I grabbed the baton from I grab the baton and, and I'm getting ready to fit. I'm getting ready to pass the baton now over to you, son Timothy. In chapter six of, of this book, he says, I fought the fight, the good fight, and I have what? Finished the race. I mean, if you know the race ain't finished, but for Paul, it's finished. <laughs> His part of the race. Paul is leaning forward with all the energy he has. And how many of you know, he's still got fuel in the tank. He's like Caleb or Joshua, my gosh, who walked for 40 years in the wilderness. And at the end of it, they were still full of life and vigor and excitement to go and possess the promised land, remember? And And they would have been a part of that historical Olympic gold medal relay squad. Moses, my servant, is dead, said God. He's finished his leg. Joshua, get ready to take the bat on, son. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 1 to 12. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead, as far as Dan. Moses is now looking at the future. Verse 4, and the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore. This is the land which I promised 
to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring, God said. I will let you see it, Moses, with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. Because you've, you've run your leg, Moses. Imagine, Moses can see the finish line, you know. But he won't break the tape. They don't have tape nowadays, do they? Some laser beam. He won't. Why? Because he isn't running the final leg. And it does us well to think in these terms. He's finished his leg. And Moses will now pass the baton on to Joshua. And how many of you know Joshua is shook? Just like we'll see in a moment. How many of you know that Paul will hand the baton to Timothy, and Timothy is very similar. Timothy is terrified. Not because he's a weakling. There's a lot of talk about timid Timothy. Timothy was, was working with Paul for 15 years. Imagine, Paul said, who did Paul say he fought when he was in Ephesus? He said he fought wild beasts. Yet, yet Ephesus is where he sends Timothy. Timothy ain't timid. But you know what? Timothy is shook because of the challenge that is, the great challenge that he's confronted by. And Paul, just like Moses says, you know, I've finished my course, at least my part of the course. Timothy, it's your turn. Joshua, it's your turn. Patrick, Ephraim, Robert, Pastor Brian Broderson has passed the baton over to you. What you're going to do? <laughs> now, we are all in our 40s. Guess what we are getting ready to do? Pass the baton to you. And you, at that moment, feel just as shook as Joshua felt, as Timothy felt, as we felt and still feel. Shh, I'm not supposed to tell you that. No, Paul talks about the fact that he had fears within and fears without, didn't he? In the book of Corinthians. It's because we don't trust in our own ability or our own authority. Amen. See, we're going to pass the baton on to you. And the thing is, you don't want to wait until you're going to roll over and die before you pass the baton, right? You want to run your leg hard. You want to hand the baton while you're at your peak. You want to be at top speed when you're passing the baton. And you know what, like I said, boy, we're getting up there. Gray hair and reduced, diminishing hairline. And... But you know what? By the grace of God, we've still got gas left in the tank. By the grace of God. We may get knocked down, but we ain't knocked out. Amen. And Deuteronomy 34, verse 5 through 8. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there, as he looked out at the finishing line, he died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him. Seems like, who buried him? Seems like God personally buried him 
in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. Moses was 120 years old when he died. Check it. His eye was undimmed. And, well, I wish I could say that. And it passed the Pastor P can say that. <laughs> He's still got 2020 vision. Moses, his eye was undimmed, his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. I wonder if this is similar to the tears that we see Timothy shed in verse 4 of our text. Verse 9 And Joshua, the son of Nun, huh? was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him. Paul makes reference to doing the same thing with Timothy. So the people of Israel obeyed him now and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. You see the progression? You see the transition? Now there pretty much ends Deuteronomy chapter 34. Turn the page and what's the next book? Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' Moses assistant, Moses has been bringing him for years. Moses, the Lord says, Moses, my servant, is dead. There's one chapter ended. But here, as soon as one chapter done, here comes the beginning of another chapter. The men die, but the spirit lives on. See? Moses, my servant, is dead, but the race ain't finished yet. If only you knew how much of the race is still left to run. Now, therefore, arise, Joshua, go over this Jordan, you and all these people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the, place, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given to you. Just as I what? Just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. That, that was looking forward. We now look back and we say, amen. God did what he said he would do. Israel. Landed the people of Israel. Where am I? What verse am I on? Help me. Verse 5. So, and, and notice, what do they have to do now? We're talking about running a race. What do they have to do now? They have to fight. This ain't just a race. This is a war. Verse 5, no man shall be able to, you're in a war, but no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. What does that sound like? Oh, sounds like the Lord Jesus, isn't it? As he's passing the baton to his disciples in Acts 1 at the ascension. Also, oops, also in Matthew 28. Remember when he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Can you see the Old Testament and the New Testament continuity? It's the same war, just a different battle. Verse 6, God says to Joshua, be strong, Joshua, and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. 
being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Now, why is the Lord having to say this? It's obvious because he's frightened. And do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Moses passes the baton to Joshua. Jesus passes, he grabs the baton and he passes the baton to the disciples. Like Paul runs his race and he passes the baton to Timothy. Will Timothy be faithful? Well, that's why Paul wrote him this letter to encourage Timothy to keep it moving. Is it saying anything less to us? Back to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. Remember where Paul is. He's a POW, he's a prisoner of war. He's in prison like Jeremiah in, chap- in Jeremiah chapter 37, like Micaiah in 1 Kings 22. Where's Micaiah? Oh, he's in the children. He was wrongfully in prison. Paul hasn't done anything wrong. And so his conscience is clear. He isn't ashamed. And Timothy mustn't be ashamed of him either, because that's the temptation. Remember, Nero's running things right about now, and things are really dark. Christians are being tortured. They're being, they're being, they're being put up on poles. You know, Nero was a lunatic. He was a nutcase. In order to, he wanted illumination in his garden, so he put these stakes up, and then he, he put Christians on the stakes and covered them in pitch like tar and set them on fire to illuminate his gardens. Imagine being in his garden with a glass of wine in your hand, and him talking to you, you're thinking, this man is a madman. <laughs> See, and it's easy for Timothy to be ashamed of Paul because Paul's now feeling the wrath of Nero. And Timothy's like, rah, fam, if that's happening to you, if I associate myself with you, that's going ha- to happen to me. There's Micaiah. Hmm. He says that in verse 8. Don't be ashamed of me. We'll try to tackle that when we come back next week. Paul continues to say, I thank God as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. This is amazing. Paul is something else. The man's in prison praying. Just like in Acts 16, it wasn't Timothy that time. Who was with him? Silas. In Acts 16. And they're in the prison, praying and singing praise to God. Paul's some, he's some next man. Next, he's on some next thing. Now I know that many of you, and I'll include myself, I know that many of us are going through difficult times. I say that Paul's a next man, but how many of you know that even though we're going through difficult times, that's not a good enough reason 
for us not to pray, for us not to sing. Paul is in a very difficult situation, literally and metaphorically. The man is in prison, about to be executed. And the last thing that he thinks about is himself. I mean, we can't even sit down for, for an hour before we start getting agitated. He is praying. For, you, how many of you ever come up the front and even just had to give announcements? You know, it's, it's nerve-wracking being up here, you know. And that mean? It's like, as I'm up here and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, if only could somebody could be praying for me, kind of even under their breath right now. I see some people, like, close their eyes and pray for me. I see people closing their eyes, but I, I, somehow I don't think they're praying. <laughs> Timothy's, Paul's praying for Timothy, and this prison, come on now, this is not Jeb Avenue, like Brixton Prison. This is not Wormwood Scrubs. This is not Feltham Young Offenders Correctional Facility. I mean, I've been to them prisons. Not, not as an inmate. <laughs> Me and Pastor E years ago used to do prison ministry. And actually, we, 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 we still do prison ministry now. And those prisons are like the Ritz compared to where Paul is. Where Paul is, it's deep, it's dark, and it's dank. He's in a hole in the ground with the entrance in the roof. That's the only way to get out. It's like a skylight. Man's in a hole in the... There's no bed. There's no sanitation. There's no light at night. And Paul's in there with real criminals. I mean, you probably slept in a clean bed last night. You probably have clean, hot, and cold running water. I mean, I've got two toilets in my house. This morning, you may have had a shower and washed your hair with head and shoulders. For this faithful apostle, there's a guillotine outside being sharpened in order to separate Paul's head from his shoulders. You know, that's how Paul died, history teaches us tell me you have a valid reason to complain or a feasible excuse not to pray verse 4 as he says as I remember your tears says Paul Timothy possibly appreciates Paul's circumstances right and is tearful and sad as he considers at a distance Paul's plight also, could Timothy be fearful, as I said, of all that could be waiting for him as he follows in Paul's footsteps? Christianity is no stroll in the park. Whoever told you that lied to you. That's possibly one of the reasons you could be complaining. Because you're not getting what you thought you ought. You must be listening to those false teachers that Shailin was rapping about. Christianity is a narrow and a difficult road. And I'm even know the race is not given to the swift, but to those that can what? Endure it. And Paul talks a lot about endurance and suffering in every chapter of this book. You're going to see Pastor E deal with that in a couple of weeks. Did you know that one third of the global church is being persecuted? 
You may or may not know it. You may not realize it, but we are in a war. And it's not surprising that Timothy is tearful and even fearful in verse 7. Paul is also very emotional at this point. He says in the middle of verse 4, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. Paul, to some degree, is struggling. But you wouldn't know it. And Paul glories, he finds joy in the fact that he was a spiritual father, an example, a faithful runner, a baton passer. Paul was a steely spiritual soldier who endured hardness, but he was still very sensitive. May God help us as men and also as women to follow his example. Speaking about women, verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Paul is remembering, verse 3. Paul is remembering, verse 4. And being reminded, verse 5. Again, of those in the past who contribute to the furtherance of the war effort. How many of you know women go to war? Practically and spiritually. Hey, I wish I had time. Oh my gosh, the clock's against me. In verse 5, we're introduced to two female soldiers. A grandmother who passes the baton to her daughter, who passes the baton to her son. Lois passes it to Eunice, who passes it to Timothy. And notice, what is the baton that's being passed down? It's the faith. The faith. Timothy's sincere faith is a result of his grandmother's faith that become his mother's faith. Can you see the, gen, the, the, the ancestral generational progression? And you know, I was really blessed. I thought about two things. I thought about um, Pastor E. You know that he was brought up by a godly grandmother. You know what I mean? Um, I have, um, some of you have met my mum. Um, my mum phoned me this morning as I was actually finishing up preparing and told me, Robbie, I pray for you this morning, you know. And I said, Lord God, I wonder if I'd be standing here today if my mum hadn't been praying for me all these years. I wonder if Pastor E would be the man that he is if his granny never prayed for him. And the Lord is still answering those prayers, those faithful prayers. How many of you have praying grandmothers and, and, and praying mothers? I mean, there are mothers that are praying prodigals home. They're out there running up and down on some kind of madness. But their mums, maybe even you as a mum, are praying for that son or that daughter to come home. There's a gentleman who witnessed to myself and my wife 24, nearly 25 years ago. His name's Harry Hanks. And he shared the gospel with Helen for about four years until she actually responded. And then that spilled over into my life. Harry Hanks, tall, six foot four, ex-builder, massive hands, white man with a bald head. Gentle, giant of a man. And that man... He was at our baptism. 
That man has been praying for Helen and myself for 24 years. There's times when I feel carried and I don't know how I made it from point A to point B. But I know a lot of it has to do with that gentleman praying for me and my wife. Let's not underrate the, underestimate the power of prayer. How many of you know we're in a war and Paul says in Ephesians 6 that prayer is one of the number one weapons of our warfare. Like I said, time is against me. Now, with regards to this ancestral progression, God says something similar in regard to Abraham in Genesis 18, verse 19. God says, I've chosen him so that he will direct his children and his family after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. See the progression? But here in our text, we don't find a man being faithful, but women being faithful. And thank God for faithful women. Thank God for you women who are being faithful. Thank God for you single parent women who are holding it down, being faithful. Raising those Timothys. Don't see it as a, don't see it as a light thing. Don't make society make you feel like you're useless and you're worthless because you ain't necessarily career-minded and out there. You can't be because you're looking after your kids. Don't see it as a light thing. I've got a feeling that there are going to be some people that we never see in obscurity, but they're praying whose reward is going to far, at, is going to far exceed any reward that you and me may receive. Lord, help us. Where's Timothy's dad? Like I said, I ain't got time. Timothy's dad was a Greek. We learn from Acts 16, verse 3. Unlike his mother's family who were Jewish, and there's no indication that he became a believer. Very typical. He doesn't even seem to be around, which is a shame. And one of the reasons why Paul actually fostered Timothy as his own son, taking him on his travels. And it's quite a common phenomenon today, isn't it? That is fatherless, fatherlessness. Now you know that I've got a lot to say about that topic. Suffice to say, if you're a young man without a father, why not become a child of God if you haven't already? And then you may also have the benefit, who knows, of a godly man, literal, physical man, visible man, who may come alongside and mentor you and pass the baton to you so that you can become a faithful man like Paul will say in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2 a faithful man who will pass the baton on to other faithful men who will pass the baton on to faithful men Pastor E's going to deal with that passing on the baton of faith this is the this is the fight of faith that Paul is talking about verse 6 for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands like we saw with Moses, right? Paul commissioning Timothy. This gift in Timothy's life was going to somehow contribute to furthering the faith in Timothy and also in others. And we all have gifts, don't we? question is, are we using them to see the faith furthered? 
Now, that's not just a preacher's quip. That's a serious question that I'm asking you. Ask yourself honestly, what am I doing with my gifts? What are you doing with your gifts on a level? Evident or undiscovered gifts? Say, or am I using my gifts for other purposes? And even if you're not a Christian, I'm speaking to you too. Because God made you in his image. You have a responsibility to reflect his nature, like I prayed at the beginning, and his likeness. You have that as a responsibility. You're MC, you're a singer, you're a dancer. Whose image are you reflecting? It's either going to be one or the other. It's going to be God or Lucifer. There ain't no in-between. Even if all you're repping is yourself. Now, you know what? We're going to talk more. I'm going to leave that. We're going to talk more about this in our community groups this week. So look out for the handout. Now, in light of this, is God expecting Timothy to find impetus in himself to be faithful? Notice, you, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God. If God didn't give him the gift, there wouldn't be anything to fan into flame in the first place. See that? Is Timothy working on that which God had worked in? Listen to Philippians 2 verse 12. Work out your own salvation. Who? You. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, or to do for his good pleasure. God provides the inspiration. You provide the perspiration. God initiates. You reciprocate. It's responding to that which God has done, and by the grace of God, we can respond. Why? Verse 7, for God gave us a, a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We're going to come back to that next week. Let's end here. Let's pray. <sighs> Heavenly Father, wow. Thank you for your great purpose which began before time. Thank you, Lord God, for the promise. And on the basis of that promise, I thank you that we can take our place in this race, in this battle, only because of your grace. And Father, I'm asking that you would, in a really powerful way, by your spirit, Lord. Help us to live our lives, Lord. Not for ourselves, but for you. It's only reasonable that as that baton's passed, one, that we receive the baton as believers and not just see it drop to the ground. Some of us ain't trying to do the training. So when we get on the track, we flop, drop the baton, step out of our lane, two twos, we flop the race. I pray that you'd help us to get into training. Pray, Lord God, that you would Help us because you've given us 
your spirit. You've poured out the love of God in our hearts by your spirit. Thank you, Lord, so much. In the name of Jesus. Just before the the praise team sing a song, can we sing that song that we began with at the beginning? GP's heavy. I'm not expecting that you're going to jump in, brother. So we can sing it a cappella. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Lord, prepare, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. Tried and true With thanksgiving I'll be a living Sanctuary For you Lord prepare Lord prepare me To be a sanctuary Pure and holy Tried and true With thanksgiving I'll be a living Sanctuary For you Lord, and I know, Father, there are individuals in this room That you created, that you molded, that you made, that you fashioned You made them in a fearful and a wonderful way, Lord God. Yet they're not reflecting your image. They're reflecting the image of the other guy, Lord. And the image is marred, it's busted, it's broken. It's distorted, Lord. I pray, Father, that you'd... In the same way that you knelt down, so beautiful. You, the God of the ages who created the universe you knelt down on dirt on dust and you created man and you breathed into him the breath of life Lord I pray that you get hold of someone's lips today Father in the same way Jesus did in John 20 Lord you'd grab a hold of someone today grab them by the ears grab them by the head Lord, and put your lips on their lips and breathe life, Lord. I pray that you'd breathe life into them. That you'd regenerate them, Lord. Like it says in Titus 2, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to your mercy you saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that that you'd breathe life into someone today, Lord. And help them, Lord, to to switch teams. Help them to change shirts, Lord. And come and run for the other team. Come and run for your team, Lord. And run their race to set before them, Lord. And faithfully, Lord, pass that baton on.
to someone else. Lord God, in your grace and in your mercy, I pray for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.